Hey, InterVarsity alumni. This is After Four, your podcast for navigating life after graduation. This is both an exciting and potentially tricky transition that you're making, and you might feel a little unsure about the coming weeks and months. We're here to provide you with expert advice, practical skills, and plenty of encouragement as you learn how to keep saying yes to Jesus in your new context. This is After Four, and this podcast is for you, alumni. What's up, alumni? Welcome to After Four, your podcast for navigating life after graduation. I'm your host and guide, John Steele. So excited to be kicking off a new year of After Four with you. If you're brand new to the podcast, welcome. I am so glad you're here. And let me tell you, we have a ton of good stuff for you. If you go back just a few episodes, you can find our recent 100th episode celebration. I'll link it in the show notes. Uh, We do a countdown of some of our top interviews from the last three years. Give it a listen and it will help you get a feel for some of the amazing topics that we've explored. And we are just getting started. Today, we're kicking off a new series. We're looking at relationships and the relational transitions that you will likely experience as you navigate graduation and the days that follow. We're going to talk about ending well with your friends on campus, building new friendships after graduation, how to relate with your parents, and how to relate with significant others and maybe even their family, whether you're dating or getting married. But first, we're going to do what all InterVarsity alumni love to do. We're going to talk about relationship through the lens of Scripture. Today, I'm joined by Scott Schimmel, former InterVarsity staff and head of the U School, an organization devoted to helping students find their own answers to life's most important questions. Things like, who are you? What do you believe in? What's most important to you? Scott also helps young people answer big questions about relationships, and that's part of why he's with us today. Day. Scott's joining us for a casual conversation around Genesis 2 and the first problem of the Bible, not having a suitable companion. It's a problem most of us experience when we graduate, and Scott's going to help us gain a better understanding for relationship from a biblical perspective as we prepare to discuss relational transition over the next few weeks. All right, that's enough from me. Let's jump into this conversation. Here's Scott, and this one's for you, alumni. Scott, welcome to the After Four podcast. Gosh, I am thrilled. Anytime I get a chance to talk about university stuff with an university <laughs> guy, so I'm thrilled to be here. Nice. Oh, I'm really glad that we get to do this. This is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Scott, before we get to know you, I have a question for you here, and that's uh, this. This our conversation is going to be airing in January, but you and I are talking okay. before Christmas. So, sitting where you are right now, how do you think your Christmas and New Year will have gone by the time people are listening to this? <laughs> oh, yeah, great question. It one thing depends on we just got a new puppy, so okay. uh, the puppy's been fantastic. <laughs> We've had it for two weeks. She's a golden doodle named Nutmeg. Um, Nutmeg. But today and last and last night she got real naughty. Oh no! So it kind of depends on um, Nutmeg and how she responds to to whatever we're doing in terms of training. <laughs> um, and then secondly, I, I have three kids, so I hope they have a great Christmas. But what I really, really care about is that I get to play golf, which in San Diego, this is prime golf time. It'll be nice. 70 degrees and sunny. <laughs> so wow. if I can play golf three times this month, I'll be absolutely thrilled. 
That's fantastic. You know, being from Minnesota, I have a, a similar, well, not similar. I have a very different, but I also have a framework for how good the season will be. And uh-huh. that's if we can make it through Thanksgiving without snow sticking on the ground, it's going to be a good winter. Uh-huh. So it's good to know that for you, if you can play golf three times, it's going to be a good, it's going to be a good season. <laughs> <laughs> I'll think about you. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that. If you, uh, if you want to utter up a prayer on my behalf, we, I would appreciate yeah. it. But, uh, okay. All right, Scott. So we've already learned a couple of things about you here, but in addition to nutmeg and golf, uh, just give us a little bit of an introduction to yourself. Who are you, Scott, as we jump into a conversation together? Yeah. So I, I, like I mentioned, a dad of three kids and they are close to college. I've got a junior freshman and a fifth grader. So um, very surreal to be thinking about college admissions and our own college experiences with our kid. Um, been married for 20 years. I met my wife through InterVarsity. She was my small group leader. We really formed a bond over spring break, Mark Manuscript, in uh, 2000, uh, so 23 years ago. And she and I were both on staff together for about a decade. And in the past 11 years, I've been running uh, a company that's actually very similar to the work of InterVarsity, but um, a little bit more, I would say, upstreams, more with teenagers Okay. Them think through their the big questions about life, identity, who they are, and what they believe in, and and their purpose, and uh, probably um, uh, spend a lot of time uh, talking about stuff we're going to get into in this conversation: relationships and community. So, I the company I run is called U School, and we have curriculum for teenagers and training for adults, um, educators, and parents how to work with teenagers. That's awesome. We, uh, I would love to make sure that, that some of that information ends up in our show notes for people to continue engaging with. So just to give you a little bit of a background here on, on where we're going with this podcast for the next couple of months here, we're going to be talking about a series on relational transition uh, and the, these relational transitions that happen through graduation and in the time that follows. Lots of different nuanced topics. But before we do that, I really want us to have a firm foundation as far as where does the where does the idea of relationship come from? Why does it matter? And why should this be something yeah. that we're thinking about moving into this next phase of life? And uh, what's funny is that when you and I connected, we found out that we had both had a very similar, important conversation around this idea with the same person, uh, but that it's separate in separate time at separate times. Back in October, we had Jason Gabriel on the podcast. And we were talking about loneliness and Jason talked about the first problem of scripture and that it actually came before the fall. And I know that you had a similar conversation and that that was a, a sort of a stirring, important moment for you. Tell So let, yeah. let's start there. Let's start with this conversation that we both had with Jason and and what yeah. that did for us. To, people have heard, people have tuned in, have listened to my conversation with him about it. If, if they haven't, they can yeah, go cool. back and find the episode on, on loneliness that we did with Jason back in October. Tell me just a little bit about what that conversation was like for you and and why that felt like such an important moment. Yes, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I uh, Hopefully I say this sounding humble, but I <laughs> read a lot, think a lot, hang out with people that are writers, authors, speakers. And I was having coffee with Jason when I was visiting uh, New York City a few weeks ago. And I was just curious about this book that he had written. And he very quickly shared kind of the, the main premise of it. And it's, it's one of the times I could, I can't think of many others in this calendar year where I literally was like, 
like, um, that's a, that's a new thought. <laughs> Most of the time, whether it's Instagram or whatever, I hear repurposed thoughts or said mm. differently, which is, which is cool, but I had not had, I not connected the dots that he had about this idea of community through the biblical lens and, um, the summary, maybe I could do a little quick summary, at least what I heard. Yes, please do. He was talking about um, the focus that we tend to have in uh, Genesis, in the first early chapters of Genesis, and particularly the emphasis that's often placed on um, the implications of the fall and brokenness. And um, and I've, I mean, I've given that talk. I've I've uh, led evangelism conversations through that countless times, and really emphasized like, look around. You know, the world is so broken, and uh, and God wants to restore things. And uh, the part that I think I overlooked or hadn't connected the dots in as powerful of a way as Jason did for me was just to um, uh, specifically focus on the design of creation and mm. that repetition of like it was good as as the story tells us of uh, the you know the heavens and the earth being separated, the waters, the seas, the land, the animals, and every single kind of um, repetition there is, it was good, it was good, it was good. And then this moment where God uh, has Adam and creates this uh, person out of his rib, <laughs> okay? And uh, the refrain that sticks out is, as we're taught through great manuscript study, to notice the outlier, uh, it was very good. And, um, and it's something I've read thousands of times, and maybe that's an overstatement, but just overlooked how how much of an outlier that is, and how much mm. um, attention that the author, I believe, is trying to emphasize. That I just was like, I missed. And so this idea that uh, in God's design was very good. Not just I mean, imagine all the stuff that he called good, like pretty decent, pretty decent that you made frogs, pretty decent that you made stars and sky, <laughs> but it was exceptional, noteworthy, remarkable that you gave. Uh, man, a friend, a, a companion, a partner. Yes. And I think if I counted correctly in that first chapter of Genesis, we have seven, we have seven form of good that comes up. And that very last one, like you said, is very good. Uh, and that's after people have been created. That's when he looks over the whole of creation is like, wow, this is very good. And then as we enter into, into chapter two, we hear the story of God resting. And then, and then the story takes a really interesting turn. Like it's retold from a, the story of creation is told from a different lens. And then that's where we're presented with the first not good, which is really <clears throat> fascinating because we would right. think that it's chapter three with the fall where we start to see not yeah. good, but it's actually still see, living in God's, <laughs> it's still living in God's grace and fullness. <laughs> Like the, that we see this not good moment in, in verse 18, where, where God says, like, it's not good for him to be for this, for Adam to be alone, for, for people to be alone. And like that just strikes me as a very strange moment. And that's something that Jason pointed out in our conversation. But what's, what's interesting to me, Scott, as I was, as I was looking back over Genesis two, is that it's. It's kind of hard for me to buy to some extent the, the thought of Adam being alone because we see right here in this story that he's interacting with God. And and so, like, there's some sort of relationship that's happening there. Like, Adam has some sort of interaction with the creator, the perfect one, his God. And yet there's still this thought that he is alone. 
and yeah. and that it's not good. I, I I and that's something that gets just a little confusing for me. Like, shouldn't God be the ultimate perfect friend that that Adam could hope for? <laughs> and like, what do we do with that? Yeah, it reminds me of a quote and idea from the author Henry Nouwen, who talked about uh, the noisiness that happens when we're alone mm. in isolation. The the noisy thoughts that come, the accusing thoughts. Um, I don't think I, I would doubt, and it seems like it's true, given what you're like reminding me of. Um, I doubt Adam escaped that mm. that idea. I think we've all experienced where you're finally alone for the first time, and it's quiet, and it gets so loud inside your head. Yeah, whatever your version of it is. I th- I think we also see that in um, in the experience that Jesus has in the desert for forty mm. days, like as as it says in this story that this Satan comes and and it gets real loud in in Jesus's head in his ears with these temptations, with these ideas, these other stories about who he is and who he isn't and what he has to do to prove himself. And um, I mean, I've I I still experience that, and I. Often remind myself, look, I'm married, I have kids, I have friends, I'm in the community, and yet I still, I went to uh, an overnight trip uh, a few months ago, and it, I, I felt like I was having a panic attack. Wow. I, I, I used to do that often, especially when I was on staff within a varsity. These uh, three times a year, we'd go away for solitude and silence and retreats, spiritual formation retreats. I, I think I had developed a muscle that I've lost. And I was all of a sudden by myself for 24 hours in a hotel. And I was just like, I could not stop the noise in my head. Wow. And and no matter how much I prayed, sang songs, worship, read scripture, like there's just, I don't know. I'm, it, I don't want to theologically say God's presence isn't enough, but I, I kind of want to experientially just acknowledge that that's been true for me. Yeah. God's presence alone is enough. Yeah, that uh, I mean, I mean, it's it is interesting when you consider that Adam is created in God's image. And so he is like, you know, this part of the lie that's told later on is that, well, God doesn't want you to be like him. And it's like, well, no, you Adam was like God. He was created in his image. So there is something about being like but that, but still different in some very important ways, and that even God Himself, this perfect triune community, uh, that there is this fully sufficient relationship that's going on there. That Adam, even living in this perfect situation with God at his side, that he's still kind of on the outside of that relationship. He is not yeah. part of the Trinity, and so it does kind of seem like, oh, there is, yeah, you're like me, but you're not like me <laughs> in relationship. Mm-hmm. We have yeah. very, I created you to have different needs. You just don't, maybe don't know it yet. And uh, there was still someone, something missing as far as that companion together in one space. It, it, it's interesting to me what you're sharing because I've, I've learned, I'm sure people listening have learned to um, perceive and reflect on God's presence in a variety of ways. Um, Nature is one. And I, I, you just reminded me of that as you're talking about Adam naming the animals. Like I, to me, I mean, I mean, mentioning nutmeg, the little puppy <laughs> is, is a, a messenger of God's love if I'm looking mm. for it, but nevertheless, like that there's something else as well. So to be able to see and experience as almost a portal or gateway to God's presence through things. Um, I think that's what you're reminded me of too for Adam. He had those opportunities, but it, it still wasn't 
to your point, fulfilling all the needs that he had. Yes. Yeah. And so then, so that is very interesting then that maybe without saying it, it's being identified that this, this God man relationship, as far as what is good for a human, that that's not enough, that there is something more for that human fulfillment, human relationships. It's interesting then that God doesn't go straight to creating a suitable helper. Uh, instead, Adam has this job of naming all the animals. And something I noticed is that he, that there's two things that I noticed when he gives him this job of naming the animals. Uh, one is that it mentions in chapter two that they were also formed from the ground, which means in some ways they were like Adam because he was also formed uh, from the ground. Yeah. Like they have something in common, but still not like in the right ways. Um, but that I also noticed, and maybe this doesn't have any bearing whatsoever, but it says, it doesn't just say that God gave him this job to name them. He gave it to him to see what he would name them. Like almost like this uh. little experiment or something. And it made me wonder if, if it's this, if God's giving him space to sort of understand himself that like, I've given you, this is a job I've given you to do and it's good. It's part of this good state yeah. that we're living in, but it's not enough, is it? And I, but I want you to understand that. It's fascinating you bring that up. I've been doing this deep dive into this uh, uh, area of research called self-determination theory. Hmm. It came up around like the year 2000. It fits under positive psychology. Okay. But it's always fascinating to me to get into like frameworks or um, theories that they kind of have the same conclusions as the as the biblical stories, the narrative, uh, but they come out at it from a very different way. And and this particular theory, self-determination theory, talks about three psychological needs that every human has. One is for autonomy, two is for competence, and the third is for relatedness or community. Hmm. And what you're reminding me of as you're looking at Adam, um, God is is responding to Adam's needs there, <laughs> like autonomy. Uh, I'm I'm ordaining my own. I'm in charge of something. Hmm. Uh, competence. I I can imagine every single time Adam came up with a name like. Um, I don't know, Osprey. God's like, good job. <laughs> so growing in the sense of like, I have something to contribute. And then that third part, I think is where you're getting to with this, with this episode of uh, relatedness. We all have these, with these deep seated needs to feel like we um, have value and we have somebody to contribute. We have people to belong to. Hmm. Like those are really, really deep. They can't be parsed out. Which kind of leads me in two, maybe two sort of applications of this particular part. And that's one that, you know, a relationship like you have with nutmeg that is, you know, developing and, and we'll see how that goes. Uh, but that, that is like, that's a, that's a nice, good, helpful thing. Like to have that sort of that level of companionship is good, but it's not enough. Uh, so we can see that like that, that there are relationships that can be had that are good, but not enough. Um, but also it makes me think about like this job in and of itself is not, enough for Adam. Like it's not just yeah. good enough for him to occupy his time, right. um, which feels really, which feels really meaningful as we think about alumni going out into the working world or into grad school after they graduate from college, like whatever their next step might be, just filling your time with the job that even if it is the job that God has given you to do next, mm -hmm. like you feel confident that he has supplied you with this, filling your time with that job is not enough. It is not a suitable companion for you. Well, I, you're, you're getting me kind of fired up because <laughs> the observations I've made about my own experience of transition and then 
the work I do now with U-School came directly from a two-year research experience that I did mm. with young alumni from university. And I think, um, I, I don't even need to, I don't need to pull punches. I think the, the current education system does a uh, horrible job at preparing us, uh, my kids, you listening for the three most important parts of life. <laughs> so number one, uh, knowing who you are, your identity. Mm. I don't think there's really any mechanism that I've ever seen that's effective uh, from the place that you're paying money to or paid money to, to actually help you uh, answer some of life's biggest wow. questions uh, about who you are and, and what is most important to you. That's, that's in so many ways, the intervention work of university on a college mm -hmm. campus is to provide the space for students to wrestle with those questions and come up with answers. Um, so identity and who you are is one. Two is purpose. And I think the university system does a horrible job at preparing you for contributing in a meaningful way in a career and being in charge of your career in such a way that's expressing who you are. So, and then the third <laughs> is the community part, the relatedness part. And what I've noticed, uh, I, I, I tracked down 400 alumni when I was still on staff at university. Wow. It was like 2010, 2011. Okay. And I wanted to know how they're doing, like generally, how you doing? How's, how's it been since you graduated? And what I heard was the same story over and over and over again, which was some version of, um, thank you for checking in on me. Rarely does anyone ask how I'm really doing. And since you're asking, I'm not doing well. And they would then fill in the blanks by saying like, I don't really like what I'm doing for work and I don't want to keep doing it, but I don't really know what else to do. Uh, two, I am less passionate about the mission that I was on with God through university than I am now. So I'm kind of like demotivated. It's just, I don't really know. I don't, I don't, I haven't lost my faith in God, but I just don't feel like it's a, it's a thing that organized my life. And then third would be, and I'm, I'm desperately alone. Hmm. And what I noticed if, and I didn't, I wish I did, I didn't know how to like actually properly track this as research, but what I would notice and observe is people, there were some people that would say, um, I actually figured out the career part and I'm pretty passionate about it. And, uh, and I also really still feel, feel close to God and, and aligned to my values, but I'm alone. And I think if you were to pick one to take away, <laughs> um, I think, I think you could actually flip it. And for somebody that I, that I would spend time with that actually felt deeply known and cared for and was a part of a community and served others. And yet they were still kind of lost in their career. I would put money on that person being happier, more fulfilled and, and, then and, and feeling like God's presence is close to them than the person who had their career figured out and yet was, went home by themselves. So um, I think in all three, part of the message to alumni, the listeners would be each one of those is going to require the same level of extraordinary effort that you put in to the last four years or the previous four years or maybe the previous high school and college years. The, the kind of deliberate all in, I want to do this part well, I think you need to take the same level of commitment and uh, energy into figuring out who you are, why you're here, how you're going to contribute, and how do you belong to people in a really healthy way. Um, I saw this study recently. I have, the, I have the stats. It was a study for how many hours one has to put into building a friendship in order for it to grow. So, And uh, it's, it's uh, I don't know, shocking to me. It takes between 40 and 60 hours to form a casual friendship. Wow. 80 to 100 hours to transition to being a friend, 
where you'd say, yeah, yeah, we're friends. And then more than 200 hours together to become good friends. And then the, this is, uh, I can, we can link to this University of Kansas study yeah. two years ago. But back uh, when we were in undergrad, it doesn't take that long. <laughs> I mean, like you might meet somebody, like I think of all my closest friends to this day, I met an undergrad through university. And we would then, uh, I would meet this guy, Charlie, John, Dave, all these people that are like groomsmen at my wedding and best friends, uncles to my kids. We, when we met, we're like, hey, do you want to go this weekend and spend the weekend camping? <laughs> or right. do you want to study together? <laughs> do you want a room together? And you would get to 100 hours or 200 hours within a month. And so nowadays, post-college graduation, you're trying to schedule an hour or two or three here or there, and somebody cancels and it shifts and you don't. And if you are together, maybe you're playing pickleball or something, so it's not, you're not really interacting that much. So it just, I think, pale, like kind of, um, brings to reality that it's, it takes an extraordinary effort. Um, but I think there's also ways to accelerate it. If that makes sense, you yeah. don't just spend time and hopefully you become best friends. There's intentional time that you can do. That's different. Wow. I, uh, I mean, you you're essentially signing up for, if you are committed to having a good friend, a close friend after you graduate, you are essentially yeah. committing to another job, like the level of hours that <laughs> record an extreme right. <laughs> part time job over a long period of time. Yeah. Like that Side is hustle, your making friends. There you go. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and so and maybe, you know, maybe this maybe this then brings us to uh, what potentially could have been an arduous process of going through naming all of these animals and then, you know, no suitable helper was found. And then God, you know, intervenes to some, I mean, inter certainly intervenes. He like makes this thing happen, which yeah. maybe that's, maybe that's also what we're relying on is like, Lord intervene and bring me a suitable companion for this season of life. And so God makes that happen for this person. And, and I also, I also want to be careful saying that because I don't want it to feel like God is not following through or coming through for you if it's taking longer than you anticipate. Yeah. Uh, but, but it's interesting yeah. that then this suit who is a suitable helper is like him. It's like Eve is taken from him. As you mentioned, this kind right. of strange experience of being taken from a rib and turned into a person, but is still different. And that's what's interesting is it yeah. almost like flips on its head how important the difference is versus the likeness this time. Because you've had God who there is a likeness there, but not suitable for this type of relationship that we're looking for. You have animals that were formed in a similar way. They are like, but they're different, mm -hmm. not, the, not suitable. Yeah. And here – you have one who is like, and as as we know, also very different, but that that here you have found one that is like in the right ways and is a suitable companion for this for this life. And it makes me think that like, I mean, that's really interesting that those things flip flop, but that also maybe that's a bit of a word for us as we think about moving into relationship of like, it might be an arduous process. It might feel like it requires God intervening to bring somebody about that is a good helper, a good mm -hmm. friend, a good companion, but also that this might be somebody that's different and not exactly what you anticipated in some ways. <laughs> and, and it's such a kind of non-romantic word to use. Um, suitable. <laughs> yes, yes <laughs> I, exactly. I, I wouldn't encourage you to write that in a poem, like a love poem. Like <laughs> you're, because suitable kind of to me means like good enough. But 
so going back, I look at my friendships that I've had for now over 20 years, closest friends, including my wife. And, um, and in some level, they also were suitable in that they were available mm. and we were at the right place, the right time. And we, and we yes. spent a crap ton of time together. And <laughs> I tell this story often, uh, or think about it often. One of my best friends, David, we met together or met sophomore year and I had such a lonely experience my freshman year, like no friends. Mm. And I really wanted to turn over a new leaf as I was becoming a Christian. I just, I think God was inviting me to figure that out. And so I met this guy, Dave. I hardly knew him. He lived down the hall. He lived three doors down. I knew he was involved in varsity. And so I called him at home. I think it was over Thanksgiving or Christmas. And I just, I'm as, I was as awkward as it could ever be. I was like, <laughs> hi, Dave, this is Scott from the hall. And I just like, hey, um, I don't really have any good friends. Do you want to mm. be my friend? <laughs> and he was like, uh, yeah. And I was like, no, no, no. Like real friends. Like I need a pal. I need someone mm. that I'm looking for someone that we could, yeah, Friday comes around. I don't have to question if I'm hanging out with somebody because I'm hanging out with you. And eventually thousands of hours together, living together, rooming together, doing ministry together. He was my best man. I was his, he's my financial planner. And I sometimes wonder if I met him today through this world now of like online dating and I had to match up who I wanted my best friend to be, <laughs> mm. I don't know if we'd ever meet. I don't know if it would have like fit like, Dave, do you like sports? Because I like sports. And Dave's kind of like, no. <laughs> and then he'd be like, Scott, do you like to argue? Because I really like to argue and debate. And I'd be like, no. I guess my point is um, – like, look around who's suitable, <laughs> yeah. who's yeah. good enough to line up your life with. And then it's not, um, I didn't spend time with Dave because I liked him, although I did. I knew, and I think he knew in me that iron sharpens iron. And I would see more of God uh, both in David, but also through him as he shaped me. And, you know, people talk about after you graduate, like you just got to put yourself out there. You got to put yourself out there, take some yeah. risks. And and it sometimes feels like putting yourself out there means like you just got to go to stuff. You got to go do things and mingle and get to. And that's yeah. that's true. But sometimes I wonder if it is actually to the extent of the story that you just said of like, sometimes you just have to say, I'm looking for a ride or die friend. Is that you? Right. <laughs> Could that be you? <laughs> yeah. Could we try that? that yeah. on for size. Scott, as, as we think about these things that we've talked about, maybe there's something that we've missed that you want to, that you want to touch on. Um, or maybe it's related to something totally different, but if you could sit down with one of our alumni who are stepping into this phase of life or who has just very recently stepped into it and is working their way through it, yeah. what's one final piece of parting advice that you would give? Yeah. Thank you. I, this is what I have learned and continue to learn. I wanted better friendships. I wanted to feel like I was not alone. And what I had to learn was two things. I had to learn um, that when I was with people to be intentional with them. And intentional to me means being thoughtful about the questions that I ask. In other words, I think for me to be curious, to be curious about them. And when I am curious, I have uh, interest, engagement, everything kind of falls into place. My body mm. language, my, my eye contact, and especially the questions that I ask. And if I stay curious, 
and I remember things, uh, I can really help somebody have the experience uh, where they feel seen and heard and cared for. Yes. So that's one part, learn how to be curious and ask questions. And then the other part, this took me a lot longer, was knowing that at some point my curiosity would, would wane and they would flip the tables to me and start asking mm. me questions. Mm. I really struggled for many years to have something to share that was true and authentic, not because I was lying, but because I lacked the vocabulary. And I remember just for a couple of years feeling, I have these friends that tell me everything and I'm there for them, but they don't know anything about me. Mm. And rather than getting bummed about them, which some people do, how come you don't care about me? I just realized it was my responsibility to figure out how to share. So literally that became me journaling, knowing that the next time I see a friend, like tomorrow, they're going to ask me how I'm doing. I prepare what I was going to share. I'd come up with stories and not make anything up, but just like, this is literally how I'm doing. Introvert people tend to need to write things down before they're put on the spot. So that's certainly true for me. And I think that would also help extroverts, by the way, because many of my friends are extroverts and they don't know how to stop talking. <laughs> so if you were to like prepare and summarize in writing ahead of time, we can actually have a more functional time together, more intentional time. Yes. Oh, that's that's so helpful. And that second one in particular, I keep finding places that a daily examine feels like it is an incredibly strategic practice yeah. to incorporate into your life. Uh, and that, that could be one really beneficial practice to incorporate that would accomplish some of those things that you're talking about. Scott, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. This has been a really fun conversation. Um, if people want to keep engaging with your work and, and the things that you're doing, where can people connect with you after, after hearing this? Yeah. I mean, anything on social media, LinkedIn, especially if you're a young professional, I would, I would highly encourage being active on LinkedIn forever and uh, LinkedIn me request, whatever. But um, there's something I think that could be helpful specifically uh, on our website, theuschool.com. We have this checklist that uh, we've developed over years of what I've been kind of talking about earlier, these questions that I think everybody should answer. So there's 30 of them, uh, we call them the critical questions. And it, it is on one level, a checklist, can you answer them or not? But two, it really serves as like guided curriculum for potentially you with the journal, but I think maybe even more importantly, you with a friend or a group of friends mm. to actually walk through these questions. And it's somehow through the processing together and out loud by listening to other people talking, to figuring it out that you can find clarity and I believe that a fulfilling, meaningful life is on the other side of answering those questions. So that's a, that's a free download on our website. So wow. that's just an easy way to get it. That's awesome. Once again, another link that we will make sure gets included in the show notes here. Take a look at that. Scott, thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun. I'm grateful for being able to have this conversation and, and set the tone, set a foundation for where we're going to go in the coming weeks talking about relational transition after graduation. Thanks a lot for being a part of this. Thank you. And I wish this was around when I was still on staff. It would have been a perfect resource. So thanks for what you're doing too, John. 
Okay, I'm kind of kicking myself right now because I didn't ask Scott one very important question before we wrapped up, and that's, where does Genesis 2 leave us then as we think about the role of relationship and the transition to life after graduation? Sorry, you deserve better, but I guess we're all stuck with me giving that word. So here are my thoughts, the best I can do. First, we were created with a need to relate. I think that's probably obvious to most of us, but sometimes the obvious observations in Bible study just need to be said. God is a communal God, and being created in his image, we are communal beings. And it almost feels wrong to say this, but I'm going to do it anyways. Uh, But our relationship with God is not enough for us communally. He's all sufficient for our salvation and redemption. Let's not be confused about that. But when it comes to person to person interactions, we were created for something else. And God did that on purpose. He made us for something other than just relationship with him. And that's good. We also need to be aware that even though our work and calling is a gift from God, it too is not sufficient for our needs. Work is good. Our calling is a partnership with God and humanity. It's a gift, but it's not a relationship. As you step into your full-time work or the next level of your education, do not be fooled into thinking that you can grind away at those things all on your own. You need peer-to-peer relationships. Even if you really love your work, it can be good, but you need other people too. Last thing, it's just going to take time. Adam sifted through a lot of potential companions, and I say potential with air quotes because they weren't really potential, but it took a while before he met Eve, someone he could actually relate to on a human level, someone who was like him in all the right ways. It's going to take time. Scott says 200 hours for someone to become a good friend. So if you devote five hours a week to someone, it's going to take 40 weeks to become good friends after graduation. That's a long time, most of a year. And I don't say that to discourage you, but to give you space to have appropriate expectations and to encourage you to start right away. It's like compounding interest on your savings. The earlier you start making those investments, the earlier they start paying off. So alumni, hear me. Invest time in your relationship with Jesus. Don't stop doing that. Invest time in your work and do a great job. Your work is a gift, but also make consistent space for developing those suitable helper, companion, friend relationships. You were created for them and they are very good. It's going to take work and the episodes that follow this one are going to help give a better idea of how to go about the work that's required. So keep coming back because we're going to dig in further. Scott, thanks so much for helping us get a solid start to this series. We are so grateful for your investment in young people across the board and for investing in alumni specifically today. And then alumni, be sure to come back next week for my conversation with Emily Francis. Emily's going to help us get a head start on ending well with relationships on campus. How do I prepare well with my friends for the big change that's coming when we're no longer on campus together every single day? You're going to get some extremely practical tips from Emily. So if you're not subscribed, consider doing that today so that you don't miss out. Thanks for tuning in, and I will see you in the after, alumni. Hey, thanks so much for joining us today, alumni. If there was anything that you learned, really enjoyed, or that encouraged you from today's episode, would you send us a DM or tag us in a story? We'd love to hear about it. You can find us at After4Pod on Instagram and Facebook. 
And if you haven't already, take just a second to unlock your phone and subscribe to the podcast. If your platform lets you, leave us a rating and a review. And if you like what we're doing here, share us with your InterVarsity or other post-graduation friends. Thanks again for listening, and I will see you in the after, alumni. <laughs>